A massive case of denial blurs the internal vision of many Americans. Our cover is to stay so busy that we never have to stop and get quiet enough to listen to our innermost thoughts. Dave Wurtson, our Bible teacher, seeks to disclose some truth that can relieve the stress within as he takes us again into the life of Jesus Christ to the identifying encounter between John the Baptist and the Son of God. The written account is found in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 35 to 51. Just so you'll have an idea of the flow of the life of Christ, I think that Jesus came down to the Jordan River at the northern end of the Dead Sea, and he was baptized by John the Baptist. After he was baptized from John the Baptist, I think he walked just a few miles. The wilderness is, is right there by the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea and the Jordan River flowing into it produces kind of a, a, a semi-tropical environment with beautiful greenery and palm trees and all of that. But when you walk just a few miles away from the life-giving spring of the Jordan River, the fresh water that produces all this vegetation, you walk up into some very rugged mountains. In fact, there's a traditional place called the Mount of Temptation. It's a very depressing, ugly place. Real strong, intense dryness and wilderness. And Jesus was tempted in an environment like that. After he won the victory over Satan in that initial encounter between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, we have Jesus going back down towards Jericho, probably back down around that area of the Jordan River, right in that area where he was baptized. And again, John the Baptist sees him. And now he knows who he is because the Spirit of God has witnessed to his heart, this is the Messiah. This is the one that you're to point out. And so John the Baptist, as he sees Jesus coming, declares to the crowd, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now John already had developed a strong following. Many disciples were gathered together around John. But John's purpose was not to bring people to John. It was to point people to Jesus. An inmate told me yesterday, he was telling me about he was in the ministry. He went to seminary. He was a minister of music. And he was telling me about when he was in the ministry, the tremendous pride that he saw, the tremendous jealousy that he saw, and the tremendous pressure he experienced trying to, trying to perform, trying to win souls, trying to be the most successful church in town. And it just destroyed it. It destroyed his family. He went away from the Lord after his family was destroyed and he became all alone. And now he ended up in Huntsville. And he was sharing with me how the thing that just slew him was his pride. Because instead of saying, behold the Lamb of God, they were saying, behold this church. Behold this pastor. Behold this group. John the Baptist is a great, great example for us. Because he decreased... His ministry at one time, the people were coming by the, by the truckloads to hear him speak. They were coming from all over the land. But he realized that his purpose was not to create a John the Baptist movement. His purpose was to produce a Jesus movement. And so you always have John pointing out, Behold the Lamb of God. Look at him. And this inmate shared with me yesterday. He said, look what happened. 
John pointed the people to Jesus. The crowds diminished for John, and he ended up getting beheaded. That's not such a great success story, but it is. Because the Savior said this is the greatest prophet of the Old Testament dispensation. John the Baptist in heaven is one of those elite, precious servants who's shown all the light, who, who put all the light on the Son of God. And that's what he's doing in this case. He says to his disciples, Jesus comes by the next day, in verse 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was so that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit coming down from heaven as a dove and remaining on him. I would not have known him except the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify this is the Son of God. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, behold, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him, they say, they say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and said, What do you want? She said to him, Rabbi, which means my teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, come and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him, and it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, the 10th hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, we found the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means the rock which translated as Peter, which means the rock. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, Nathanael replied, can anything good come out of that city? That's the idea. Can anything good come from, from here? Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me, Nathanael said. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip even called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe? Because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree, you shall see greater things than that. I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of God. The point I want you to see in this passage is a basic point that you come and see the Lord Jesus. The invitation is to come and see. Come and see the Lord Jesus. It's not come and see Midlothian Bible Church, not come and see the Methodists or the Baptists, the Presbyterians. It's come and see the Lord Jesus. You can bring your skeptical questions to him. We can talk about him. We can ask honest questions about him. But when you really identify him, 
and you begin to come and see and understand who he is, then you need to go and show. So the whole point of this chapter, this is at the very beginning of Christ's ministry. These are the very first disciples that put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And it was come and see. Come and observe the Lord Jesus. Come and look at him. Then they naturally went out and they went and they showed others and they brought others to the Savior. And that's the dynamic that we need to get going in our own lives. We begin with the idea, behold the Lamb. Now, we've sung some of these songs about this, you know, Behold the Lamb, and some of the Easter musicals we've done, we even did a song, Behold the Lamb. That it, it, it's a figure that doesn't move us very much. But I want you to realize how powerful that figure of Behold the Lamb of God. Because to be honest with you, we understand Behold the Lion. As human beings, if John would have said, Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. We understand that. The Roman world would have understood that. All of us as human beings, we understand power. If I told you that the president was going to speak in the Midlothian football stadium this coming Wednesday night, we would cancel church and we'd all go. Because we understand power. We understand the power of entertainment, the power of politics. What we don't understand is a lamb. You see, something you've got to get through your head is that the first time Jesus came into the world is John the Baptist didn't say, Behold the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And a lot of people I talk to, they say, Man, it doesn't make any sense. If God came into this world, He should have really identified Himself. Man, He should have come glowing chartreuse. He should have come, you know, throwing money out of chariots or something like that. We understand power and hype and media. But God didn't want that. God didn't want that in his first coming. Jesus came in a very powerful way, but he did not come as a lion. He came as a lamb. Now just think about that, a lamb. I've never met an athletic team that said, we are the lamb chops. I've met the panthers, you know, the gorillas, you know, the, the lions, tigers. On and on it goes. I've never met the lamb chops. Now that's, think about that. John the Baptist's mission in life was to say, Behold the Lamb of God. Why is that? Because when Adam and Eve sinned, they realized they were naked. They were exposed. I began talking about the tremendous, I call it a massive denial. In the American culture, there's an incredible denial that's going on. And that's why we don't understand what, why we need to behold the Lamb. Adam and Eve sinned and they became naked. And they realized they were naked and their first response was to do what? Run and hide. Run and hide. That's what we've been doing ever since. And that's why we don't understand why we need a Lamb because God had to find them, ask them, where in the world are you? And God wasn't asking for his own information he knew where they were. He was asking it for their information. Do you face the truth of what's going on in your life? Do you realize how tremendous the need is in Dave Wurtz's life and your life? Do you understand how rebellious and arrogant we are? In Genesis chapter 4, the very first child that's born, sin leaps in and it is like a lion. It leaps onto the planet Earth in the form of a brother that murders his brother. 
We talked to several murderers this past weekend, just the last couple days. And a lot of you have the idea, ah, man, that's a really strange thing, man. We need to get those people really away because they're really different. They're not different at all. They just got so angry one time, they didn't control it. And they just happened to have a gun in their hand. They just happened to have a knife in their hand. They just happened to drink too much, and they pulled the trigger. You could have done it. I could have done it. Haven't you ever been so angry and, and mad at somebody? And when you were a little kid, don't you remember hauling off and hitting people on the playground? Well, if that keeps going, you can easily do it in a split second of time, and then you're in Huntsville. There are people just like you. We have an idea, ah, oh, they're so different than us. That's because we're naive. We deny what's really going on inside. They're not different at all. They've just expressed it a little bit stronger in a more visible, open way. And that's why we don't understand the Lamb of God. Because God the Father said, I can hear Abel's blood crying out to me. And only the sacrifice of a lamb could solve the cry for justice from Abel's blood. Genesis 22, God told the father to take his son out on a mountaintop. Take your one and only son and offer him as a sacrifice. Very early in the chapters of the Bible, and God was saying, behold the lamb, because in a thicket, instead of killing Isaac, God allowed the ram to be caught, and the ram was sacrificed. And Abraham, remember when we studied Genesis 22, God said, I will provide. Abraham believed God would provide. If you were an Old Testament saint, you would go to the temple one time after another and you would take precious lamb and you would slit their throat with a priest and the blood would flow down on the altar and all through the Old Testament, the lambs are dying. The lambs are dying. And finally, in John the Baptist's ministry, when Jesus walked by, John the Baptist said, Behold, God's sacrificial lamb. In John's gospel, the whole point of this book is that Jesus is the Passover lamb. And the essence of the gospel, most of you have known it from the time that you were very small, and you, you have known it, you know about the lamb being sacrificed, you know about Christ dying on the cross, but I want you to never, never forget that it's the guts of what the New Testament is about. The New Testament is about one of the foundational pillars it's about a lamb who had his throat cut and he poured out his blood for us. I told an inmate that. And the inmate looked at me right in the eye and said, that's dumb. He said, I said, what do you mean it's dumb? He said, that's dumb. He said, if God sent his son into the world and he was the son of God and God had him give his life that's dumb. I said, why do you think it's so dumb? He said, because it hasn't done any good. What do you think? Has it done any good? What do you think? He was saying, man, there's still wickedness in the world. There's still all kinds of problems in the world. Man, I look at the TV, and man, it looks like our culture is, is even worse than when I was on the outside. It just hasn't done any good. Thought about that. That's a good question. Has it done any good? And you could start standing up and say, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It's done incredible good. Because I used to be here 
trapped by my sin, guilty in my sin, overcome by my sin, filled with anger and bitterness and sexual perversion and everything we can imagine. And I know that that's part of my nature. But facing the reality of that nature, Jesus Christ took the rap from me. The reason that inmate thought it was so dumb, it was so hard for him to understand that someone could love him so much that he would take the rap for him. But Jesus did. And I want to share with you, when we say, oh, it hasn't done any good, you know what I envision it? It's like, it's like electricity. And I can see homes that are together that could have been blown apart. I can see that men and women that, that could have lost their lives in despair, instead they're rejoicing. I can see teenagers that could have made some very bad mistakes, but the power of the Lamb of God has reached their heart, and it's kind of like electricity. You know, if you're not plugged into the circuit, if you're not hooked up, then you say, ah, there's nothing there. It's all blah. It's all nothing. And I've been there myself at times. The electricity's all around, but I just haven't got into the circuit. And so it just feels like it's just nothing. And what I would encourage you to do is to just start beholding that Lamb of God and start believing again. There is an answer in that blood. And it's incredible what starts to happen when you behold the Lamb of God and you start believing that that sacrifice of that Lamb can bring forgiveness, can bring cleansing, can bring freedom from guilt. And that's what these early disciples understood. That's what made them the first disciples. They understood why the sacrifice, and they recognized it, though they didn't understand it. I don't understand all of the reasons why God the Father demanded that there be the sacrifice of His Son. I don't know all the reasons for that. But God sets the rules, God sets the standard, and in his infinite righteousness, he said, the sacrifice of my son, the sacrifice of an infinite, spotless lamb of God will solve the sin problem and enable a man to be forgiven. Why not a lion? Why the sacrifice? Who is the lamb? Well, you know who the lamb is. It's Jesus Christ. Now, what do we need to do? In verses 35 through 39, I read to you how Jesus saw these two disciples following him. And as these two disciples followed him, he turned around and he saw them following. And he said, what do y'all want? And they asked him, they said, we'd like to see where you live. Where are you staying? And it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and Jesus said, all right, come on home. Come on and spend the time with me. And I think Jesus is saying that to every single one of us. I think he invites every one of you in this room. It's why we're in the series that we're in. You could put over the whole series about the life of Christ. We're trying to do something that believers hardly ever do. We're trying to put together the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and then we're trying to get to that fourth gospel, trying to put it all together and take a real good look at Jesus Christ. We want to come and see. Because it's not until you really come and see and you can have him talk to you, have him explain to you what he's like, that he won't change your life until you do that. The gospel is not just a question of hearing some facts. 
Man, almost every guy that you talk to about the gospel, they know the facts. They know he died on the cross, he rose again, he lived in Israel. They know the facts. But being a believer is not just knowing the facts. It's coming and seeing who he is. Having him explain to you, I used to live in heaven with my father. I came into this world. I lived a perfect life. I did die on the cross. I did, rise, uh, I did die on the cross. I did rise again. It's knowing those facts, but it's much more than that. It's making a commitment to a person. It's believing in him as an individual. And I like to picture it like I've shared with you many times. It's like the invisible Christ is there meeting us in his heart and he reaches out and offers us his hand and he says, come and see. And when we come and see, and he says, will you depend upon me? Will you trust me? Will you believe in me? Well, Philip and this other disciple, probably the writer of our gospel, the unknown disciple, spent that day and that night with him. And look what it says in verse, the end of verse 39. So they went and they saw where he was staying. They spent the day with him for it was about four o'clock. Now look at the next verse, verse 40. Andrew Simon Peter was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing that Andrew did, this is verse 41, was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. After we come to Jesus, we begin to know who he claims to be. We begin to know what he claims to have done for us, and we personally decide to put our confidence for eternal life in him. What's the next response? The next response is to go and invite others to come and see as well. Now, I want you to start to think about your witnessing like that. Think about your witnessing as going out and talking with others about come and see. I want you to come and see the Christ. I want you to learn about him. The incredible thing about Andrew, every time he comes on the pages of Scripture, he's got somebody by the hand and he's bringing them to Jesus. Remember, Andrew's the one that found the little boy with the five loaves and the two fishes? And he's bringing the little boy to Jesus to come and see Jesus. All the other disciples, you know, they're, they don't know what to do. Andrew's bringing somebody. Every time Andrew comes to the page of the Scripture, he's got somebody from the hand bringing him to Jesus. Now, we all know Simon Peter. Simon Peter is the big disciple, the top-notch disciple. We always know about the Simon Peters. Andrew is one of those quiet disciples, the guy that's just always forgotten. But I think when we get to heaven, that the focus that we'll have a very precious time when Jesus Christ gets Andrew up before all the disciples and he puts his arm around Andrew and says, I want all of the court of heaven to know this is Simon's brother. And he's Simon's brother in every sense of the word because Andrew spent an evening with me. And he realized who I was. I was the Messiah. And he recognized that I was the one who was the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. The very first thing he did, the next thing, is he went away from me and he grabbed all of his brothers and said, Simon, you've got to come and see. You've got to come and see what I found. I just pray that the Holy Spirit, it's no way that I can make it happen. But you know, the joy of the Christian life, brothers and sisters, is when you come and see Jesus and then you go and you grab somebody by the hand and invite them to come and see too. Some of you are very stale in your spiritual life. And I'll share with you, I get stale. 
We all do. There's times when I wonder, is there any power in it? Is there any real changed lives in it? And you know what, brothers and sisters, the reason that a lot of us get stale is that we've stopped inviting others to come and see. And I want to share with you, we're not talking about sharing some technique. A lot of you are, you know, are afraid. You say, I don't know what to say. Joshua was outgoing. He was friendly. He made a friend. Invited that little friend to come over to the house. You see, as adults, we got all the barriers up, don't we? Joshua brings a little friend over. His mom and dad say, man, alive, if, this, if our little kid's going to play with this little kid, we better come and see what's going on in that house, make sure they're not some hoodland or something. So Billy and Carol came right into our living room, like I've shared with you, and they said, here, we're your neighbors. Let's get to know one another. Mary and I could have never dreamed if the Lord did what he said, you will drive to Huntsville together, and Billy, with Carol praying at home, will go into a prison and take the four spiritual law booklet and go from cell to cell and share the four spiritual laws, I would have said, you're crazy. You know why? Because I was raised with this stuff. And when you're raised with dynamic power, dynamite power, you just take it for granted. That's why I get shocked like crazy. I never appreciate electricity. Wally appreciates it. I don't. I do the same thing with the Holy Gospel. One of the greatest joys for me as a pastor is Billy comes in after sharing Christ for a day. He says, Dave, this question came up. What do you think about this answer? I said, man, that's a great answer. Where did that come from? You know, he said, man, I, you know, the guy got into this and that was really hairy stuff, but I just brought him back here and shared this verse with him. The incredible thing is some of us are afraid. We say, I don't think I know enough. I don't think I can handle it enough. Go and show it. Share it. Invite people to come and see. You'll be amazed at what the Holy Spirit will do to give you the answers.